Good evening. Welcome back to another week of Bible Study Fellowship. This week, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Let me open us in prayer, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you that John is helping us to know that you are trustworthy, that we can believe your words, we can apply them to your lives, we can be confident in your promises. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would remind us and reveal to us tonight again the truths that you are you you and your testimony are able to be believed show us that lord may we see that in the gospel of john tonight pray all this in jesus name amen so whitney houston believes that the children are the future r kelly believes that he can fly elvis presley believes For every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. Journey wants you to not stop believing. The Cornelius brothers and Sister Rose believe, believe, believe that they're falling in love. And a lot of people can't believe that it's not butter. With so much information that's coming at us on a regular basis about what we should believe, who we can trust, the 100% guarantees, the five-star reviews, the best, the greatest. It's easy to see how people of our day and age could be cynical, and we could begin to doubt that anybody can be believed. I think this was probably a problem in the time of the Apostle John, who wrote this gospel message to us and to the people who lived in the first century, because John goes to great lengths to establish the fact that Jesus can be believed. John was writing as an eyewitness to Jesus, but John also wanted us to hear the testimony of other people. And tonight, we're hearing the testimony of Jesus to Nicodemus, And we're also again hearing more from John the Baptist as we begin to understand more about who Jesus is and what he came to do for God's people and for God's world. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to do all of John chapter 3 tonight. In verses 1 through 21, we're going to hear Jesus speaking about a topic that he knows very well, namely the kingdom of heaven and the great king, God himself. And then in the second part of chapter 3, we're going to hear John the Baptist speak and confirm Jesus' testimony. So let's take a look at those two divisions, verses 1 through 21, and then 22 to the end, and we'll hear more about the testimony of Jesus. And hopefully we'll come to a place where we have more confidence, more certainty that Jesus' testimony can be believed. First of all, uh, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus at night, and we see this happening in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. First of all, you may be wondering, who are the Pharisees? They were a group of religious conservatives that uh, existed during the first century, and their mission in this world was to meticulously follow the Mosaic Law, the Law, the Ten Commandments, and other laws that had been given by Moses by, given by God to Moses on uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, this, this meticulous following of the law, I think, biased them to be very much present 
in the physical world and focused on observable actions. If we think about the Pharisees' complaints against Jesus, they often focused on the things that Jesus did that they felt were contrary to the law. Healing on the Sabbath uh, is covered in John 9, allowing his disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath from Matthew 12. Uh, They also tended to go literal. When Jesus was talking about something, uh, they went very literal. Last week, we heard Jesus say, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the response of the Pharisees at that time had been, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Again, very literal-minded people uh, because of what they believed. Their beliefs about the afterlife Uh, We know from Acts 23, they believed in a bodily resurrection, because without a body, how could you do anything? If you don't have a body, you can't do. And doing was such an important part of their practice that they couldn't imagine life without a physical body to allow you to do things, to follow the Mosaic Law. If they were going to have a t-shirt, I think it would have like a couple of scrolls on it, That maybe would say, like, the Mosaic Law, just do it. Uh, That would sort of be their approach. This this Pharisee, Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night, and I think that John is again doing this, and he has that light and dark theory. Jesus is light, the world is in darkness, uh, and the reason that, that, that people prefer the nighttime or prefer darkness sometimes is because, uh, we learned this a little bit later on in our passage, uh, but it's because... People love darkness because their deeds are evil. And so uh, John has set the stage for this interaction. And it's interesting, Nicodemus doesn't really get to ask a question. He comes to Jesus, and he speaks a couple of things that he thinks are true about Jesus. Here's what Nicodemus said. Uh, He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Jesus answers Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus doesn't come so much with a question because Jesus begins to offer uh, truths about the way the world really is. I think it's interesting if we look at uh, Nicodemus's words, what we can learn about his perspective about who Jesus is in this world. He's identified as a teacher. The word rabbi means teacher, and Jesus says that you're a teacher from God. Now, if we look at the Old Testament, and if we think about what are some of the categories of people that have been sent by God? Well, uh, we know that there's major and minor prophets. They are sent by God. We know that there are kings, and judges that are sent by God. And we have books in the Old Testament that that share information about the judges and about the kings. Uh, but you know, what we don't have in the Old Testament is a book on major and minor teachers. First and second teachers. Teachers is not really a category that we see in the Old Testament of someone being sent by God. Certainly the prophets taught. Certainly Moses taught. Certainly the kings taught. Uh, But it isn't a role that is identified in the Old Testament. When John the Baptist was interrogated a couple weeks ago in our lesson, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, another religious group, wanted to know if John was the Messiah, the prophet, or Elijah. Specific characters, specific people that were promised from the Old Testament to come back. 
but there's no promise of a teacher that would return. And so by assigning Jesus the category of teacher, the Pharisees are safely placing Jesus outside of the category of Messiah, the prophet, or Elijah. And that's probably so that they could better ignore him. Hard to ignore a prophet. Hard to ignore the Messiah. But easier to ignore someone who we categorize as teacher. Uh, But Jesus takes control of the conversation. Nicodemus asks no question, and Jesus explains that in order to to experience the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And we see Nicodemus again going all literal. Are you saying that a man? Uh, This is what Nicodemus said. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus again offers a truth to Nicodemus in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I, I suggest to you that the, the background text for this passage is going to be found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter, uh, chapter 35, verses you know, 25 to 27 uh, is, a, is a part of Ezekiel where uh, God is speaking through Ezekiel to his people, and this is what he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This idea of uh, spiritual birth is not a new concept that Jesus is introducing this night in Jerusalem with Nicodemus. The reality is, is that the physical existence that defines our life on this planet is not sufficient to be a member or a citizen of God's kingdom. All people are in need of this spiritual birth that Jesus is referring to, to take part in the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus would have believed that his physical birth as a Jew, as one who does, does, does the law, is sufficient for membership in God's kingdom. But Jesus is challenging that belief by suggesting that a spiritual birth is required that will allow true obedience to God's law. In Ezekiel, again, the idea is that we will follow God's statutes, we will follow his rules because his spirit is present within us. The reality for Nicodemus and for us is that following God's law is only possible after experiencing the spiritual birth that Jesus is speaking of. Well, we see Nicodemus as he grapples with uh, the analogies and the illustration that Jesus provides. There's an illustration about wind. Uh, Again, that focus on something that is unseen. We can see the effects of wind, but we can't see wind. There's a spiritual realm, a spiritual reality that Jesus is referring to that Nicodemus with his physical eyes cannot see. We see in verse 9 that Nicodemus exhibits, at least for now, a lack of belief in Jesus' words. His answer to Jesus is, how can this be? How can these things be? 
and Nicodemus is supposed to be the teacher of Israel. The Pharisees were in charge of interpreting and instructing the nation of Israel in the law of Moses. They studied the Old Testament. They had access to scrolls in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, and Nicodemus is struggling to understand this, this idea that Jesus is reiterating to him from the book of Ezekiel. Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus that he is speaking about things. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about things that are true. Uh, there have been several truly, truly statements that Jesus has spoken, uh, and Jesus is speaking about something that must be true for all people who are going to follow God. It is an earthly reality that anyone who desires to be in God's family must be spiritually reborn. Jesus is going on to say that he has much more that he could share with Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, And so again, there is much that Jesus would like to teach to us. But our lack of belief in some of his basic truths make it difficult for Jesus to go forward in his teaching. Uh, In uh, verse 16, we see uh, a great verse that, that sums up the mission of the Messiah to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A verse that is familiar to many people who have studied the Bible, probably one that you and I have both memorized. Uh, and the thing to take away from this is the way that this would have challenged Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have been okay if, if Jesus had said that God loves Israel. But that's not what Jesus said. For God so loved the world. Friends, you and I are loved. Uh, the, the emotion that God feels towards us is that of love, and it's not based upon our physical birth, our nationality, who we're related to. God loves the world. He loves all the people in the world today. He loves all the people in the world that existed uh, in history past, and we are loved to an extent that God sent his unique and only son to make a way for people to experience not perishing, but to instead experience eternal life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And the response to this should be belief. It should be to receive the gift that God has offered in Jesus, but instead uh, we see what the response is. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so judgment is coming, friends. Uh, Jesus' first visit to this world was about salvation and removal of condemnation. But the book of Revelation and other books speak of Jesus returning as a judge to condemn those who have not believed in him. Jesus finishes with uh, an illustration of the Old Testament, the notion of the serpent that was lifted up on the pole by Moses during the time of the Exodus. 
the, the, a snake was on a pole. If you were bit by a serpent uh, as you were going, as they were traveling into the promised land, you had to look with eyes of faith, with eyes of belief on the serpent and believe that God would bring healing. And in the same way, people are going to be called to look with eyes of belief at the uplifted Jesus as he dies on the cross and believe that they are in fact not condemned, just as Jesus said. Uh, The principle for these first uh, verses in chapter 3 is that Scripture presents Jesus' testimony. Scripture presents Jesus' testimony. We should believe it. We should believe it. Perhaps uh, you've been in an environment where you've wanted to make a recommendation, or maybe you have made a recommendation to a friend or a family about someone that you know that repairs cars or fix houses or go to this restaurant or do this thing in St. Louis because it'll be great. And that recommendation that you've made has fallen flat. Uh, Perhaps the restaurant had a bad night or they were closed. Uh, Perhaps your person that repairs cars just had a bad day. But at any rate, you made a recommendation. Your friend listened to you and believed you, and your friend was disappointed. And so we sometimes approach things in life saying, well, I'm not going to make a recommendation. I'm not going to make an endorsement. Uh, I'm not going to do something like that because I can't guarantee that the thing that I'm endorsing will actually be what it was for me. And that might be a good policy to live by, but not with Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not going to disappoint those that you recommend him to. As we saw the first disciples being called, they recommended to their friends and to their brothers, come and see. And, and that invitation, as, as we want to call other people who have been maybe frustrated with the number of people who have offered a guarantee or a belief or a trust, uh, Jesus' words to believe him, to trust him, to obey him, to follow him, will not bring disappointment to those who hear them and obey them. And if you make a recommendation to your friend or to your neighbor, I guarantee that you will not be embarrassed because of that recommendation. Who is it that you can recommend Jesus to? Who in your circle of friends or family uh, might need to hear just one more time, a little bit more, about who Jesus is, what he has done, and why he is worth listening to? I think all of us can think of a situation when we've been reluctant to recommend Jesus, or we've been reluctant to believe some of the things that Jesus has claimed about himself. Uh, Jesus makes claims that, that make us uncomfortable, that he is the only way to God, that he is God's son. Uh, that people must eat his blood and drink his flesh. We'll get there in in future chapters. And sometimes the things that Jesus says are hard for us to hear and to listen to and to understand. What is it that might be making you or I reluctant to believe Jesus' testimony? And will we take those things to him? Nicodemus came with his concerns. Jesus must have known why Nicodemus came. Nicodemus didn't even need to ask. And Jesus started in right away. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knew what Nicodemus needed. He knows your questions. He knows my questions. And he is able to answer those in a way that will draw us closer to him and to his heavenly father. Let's move on to verse 22. Uh, We're going to see John the Baptist again uh, 
interacting with the, the, the people of Judea. At this time, verses 22 to 24, we know that John and Jesus are, are baptizing in the same area near a, a town called Anon, near Salim. Uh, and people were coming to be baptized. This is before John was in prison. John is going to end up in prison here in a couple of a couple of lessons. Uh, but uh, at any rate, Jesus is there with his disciples. John is there with his disciples. And what happens is is that there's a question that comes up with the Jewish person over purification. Now I don't know what the question was, but what happened was is that John's disciples came to him with a complaint. And the complaint was, Rabbi, John, this man who was with you across the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. John, what's going to happen to your ministry of repentance? What's going to happen to us as your followers? Well, we have no idea what the question was about purification, but the issue was at the, that was at the heart of John's disciples is what is going to happen to us now that Jesus has come? What are you going to do about it, John? Uh, John explains to his disciples that his joy is complete. Because his mission was to prepare for the Messiah. And Christ has come. Christ is here. Christ is drawing disciples. His public ministry has, has begun. Uh, verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Uh, John goes on and he offers us, his disciples, and us by extension, several facts about Jesus in the chapter and the verses that end this section some facts about Jesus that John shares with his disciples. First of all, he is sent by God. Second, he utters the words of God. Number three, he gives the Spirit without limit. Number four, he is loved by God. Number five, God has given all things into his hand. Number six, the response. Believe the Son and you have life. And conversely, do not believe, do not obey the Son and you will not see life. God's wrath will remain on you. It's almost as if John is saying to his disciples, go, follow Jesus. Go follow the Messiah. Go follow the one that we have been waiting for. Go to him. Because Jesus is the one who has been given all things by God. Jesus is the one who is loved by God, sent by God, utters the words of God, gives the spirit without limit. Go to him. Go to him. Uh, and the principle for this section is that Jesus is the only source of information about God and about the heavenly kingdom. The Apollo moon program landed 12 people on the moon during the time when it was operating in the late, uh, in the late 60s and 70s. Since that time, eight of those men have died. If you want to talk with someone with first-hand knowledge about what is it like to walk and to live and to be on the surface of the moon, act quickly. Because uh, a time is coming, and we may not have anybody who is alive on our earth that we can speak to about what was it like 
to walk on the surface of the moon. Jesus is the one who has seen the heavenly throne room. He knows God the Father personally. He knows what the kingdom of heaven is like. Without Jesus' words, without his testimony, there is no other eyewitness. There is no other person that we can turn to to tell us about the kingdom of heaven, the heavenly realms, and God the Father. Well, what are you and I going to do with the words that, that John and the other apostles have captured from Jesus that describe to us the character of God, the character of sin, the character of the, the nature of the kingdom of heaven? Uh, what are we going to do with that information? Are we going to listen to it? Are we going to receive it? Are we going to shape our beliefs and our opinions after it? Or are we going to keep following a lesser reality? Are we going to keep listening to a pastor that we really like? Are we going to keep participating in a ministry that we really like, even though there's greater blessing that might be available to us by heeding Jesus' words, reevaluating our beliefs to follow him? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Pastors and ministries uh, that we're involved with may be great, but there are times when we have to evaluate, what am I following? Am I following Jesus Or am I following something on this earth? John redirected his disciples to follow the one uh, who could truly teach them uh, and show them more about God, more about this world. John knew what his ministry was for, and he knew that his time was drawing to a close. Well, it is hard to know what to believe. Well, we're faced with people who are deceitful and deceptive every day. And, and John is helping us to hear and begin to believe and trust Jesus' words. The question for you and for me as we go from here this week is, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to listen to Jesus' words presented to us by John? Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you that uh, you continue to validate the words of Jesus. Uh, they continue to be as true today as they were when John first wrote them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to bring our questions and our concerns uh, about Jesus, about his words to you. And Lord, I pray that we would listen uh, to the answers that you provide. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.